Hello and welcome to this special episode of Interpreting India. Today, we have organized an episode on the geopolitics of technology, the theme of the 8th Global Technology Summit co-hosted with the Indian Ministry of External Affairs. From 4th to 6th of December, this summit will convene policymakers, academics and industry leaders to discuss key technology policy issues concerning digital public infrastructure, artificial intelligence, critical and emerging technology, national security and technology, data protection, and much more. In this episode, we will unpack the topic of military applications of AI. Joining us today to discuss this topic is Ms. Izumi Nakamitsu, Undersecretary General and High Representative for Disarmament Affairs, United Nations. Ms. Izumi Nakamitsu assumed her position as Undersecretary General and High Representative for Disarmament Affairs on May 1st, 2017. Prior to taking this post, she served as Assistant Administrator of the Crisis Response Unit at the United Nations Development Program since 2014. She has many years of experience within and outside the UN system, most recently as Special Advisor ad interim on follow-up to the summit on addressing large movements of refugees and migrants between 2016 and 2017. She was also previously Director of the Asia and the Middle East Division of the UN Department of Peacekeeping Operations between 2012 and 2014, as well as the Director of the Department's Division of Policy, Evaluation, and Training from 2008 to 2012. Ms. Nakamitsu holds a Master's Degree in Foreign Service from Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., and a Bachelor of Law Degree from Waseda University, Tokyo. Ms. Nakamitsu, welcome to Interpreting India. Thank you. With this, without any further ado, we'll head over to our first question. And the first question is essentially about dual-use technology. As with any dual-use technology, AI can be used for both offensive and counter-offensive operations, including for non-violent purposes and for defense of state sovereignty. In that respect, is AI seen in the same way or viewed differently from nuclear weapons? Does the U.S. disarmament strategy account for any new risks when it comes to developments in AI? Right. Um, AI is, I think, different from nuclear weapons in that uh, it is an enabling and disruptive technology, not a weapon itself, right? Um, so better comparison is probably with nuclear energy, which is dual use um, in that it is a fuel for nuclear reactors uh, and also nuclear weapons. Um, AI can, uh, however, affect the nuclear uh, calculus. The nexus between AI and nuclear weapons has exposed really potential new vulnerabilities that could lead to mistake or miscalculation. Um, the use of AI in nuclear weapon systems poses the same dangers as the use of AI in other weapon systems, but with potentially really existential consequences. Um, so, you know, pending, of course, uh, nuclear weapons total elimination humans really need to be in control of nuclear weapons uh, at all times, um, not the AI. Um, so um, currently there are short-term risks of AI that are very real, um, and um, but not enough yet is known whether such risks uh, would reach existential levels. Um, so taking, if you will, precautionary measures to prevent and minimize uh, those risks and putting necessary guardrails are really very much needed. In other words, the inherent um, uncertainty and predictability around the disruptive potential um, of AI 
merits further uh, considerations. Now, let me also briefly speak about your question, because you mentioned the UN's uh, disarmament strategy. Uh, we have something um, in uh, disarmament agenda, um, indeed accounts for new risks arising from the developments in artificial intelligence. The Secretary General repeatedly called for keeping humans in control of autonomous weapon systems and artificial intelligence. Now, this year also, the Secretary General published his vision around um, international peace and security in a policy uh, paper uh, called uh, New Agenda for Peace. In this policy brief, the Secretary General called for states to urgently develop national strategies on responsible design, development, and also use of AI, and share them with existing UN mechanisms, as well as to develop norms, rules, and principles um, on the design, uh, development, and use of AI in the military applications of the artificial intelligence through a multilateral process, ensuring uh, multi-stakeholder engagement, which is also very important. Now, finally, um, every year we publish a report of the Secretary General on the current developments in science and technology and their potential impact on international peace uh, and security uh, and disarmament efforts, um, in which, among other things, uh, military applications and implications of AI uh, are uh, very much discussed uh, under the banner of disarmament. So those are the, the first uh, uh, sets of questions. Thank you, Ms. Nakamitsu. That's a great pivot to our next question. Uh, the question is as, about essentially the UN recently announcing a multi-stakeholder high-level advisory body on artificial intelligence. The question here is essentially, can this body help develop consensus and arrive at a common international framework to govern all military applications of AI, given the fact that there is currently a divergent approach to AI governance in different jurisdictions? Right. So this is an advisory body. Uh, and at um, the initial instance, this body will report to the Secretary General on the options for global AI governance. And um, uh, its recommendations will be addressed in three main areas. The first one is the international governance of artificial intelligence overall. Uh, and the second is shared understanding of risks and challenges. And then the third is key opportunities and enablers, if you will, for leveraging AI to accelerate the delivery of sustainable development goals. So those are the three areas. Now, the scope, the exact scope of this body's work is not yet finalized. They are actually uh, having um, very intense virtual at this stage meetings. And in fact, the members will meet face-to-face uh, -face for the first time uh, in December. Now, I can say at the very least that the members are cognizant, definitely, cognizant of security risks posed by developments in artificial intelligence. And there is a genuine um, interest in covering such risks. Um, some of these are uh, potential misuse and diversion of civilian technology for military purposes. Now, it is important, uh, however, to um, clarify that this body's program of work will not directly address the governance of military applications of um, artificial intelligence specifically. 
Um, this is because such discussion would require a different set of expertise, uh, including knowledge of arms control, disarmament, and non-proliferation, um, as well as weapon systems-related um, expertise. So with regard to military ex um, application of um, um, uh, artificial intelligence, there are actually already several ongoing initiatives, uh, multilateral initiatives, um, and I can just mention uh, two or three of them. The first one is um, what we call, what they call responsible artificial intelligence in the military domain or REAIM uh, process, uh, which is co-led by the Netherlands and the Republic of Korea. And they are exactly uh, discussing, directly discussing the, the military domain um, um, AI issues. The second one is also um, uh, recently, um, actually on the November fifteenth, uh, um, the um, there was a political declaration around military applications of artificial intelligence in autonomy, and this was uh, announced by the United States and endorsed by forty six countries. Um, and and this uh, event took place uh, at the United Nations. So this is another multilateral process um, that is uh, starting up. Uh, and then there are also other countries um, that are very active um, and, and very keen uh, on this issue. For example, Pakistan is also active in the space uh, as they is, uh, issued a working paper earlier this year in Geneva and held a side event during the first committee of the General Assembly in New York. This was also very recent. Uh, on fostering awareness about security risks em emanating from military ex uh, applications of AI and autonomous weapon systems. So there are, um, you know, a couple of uh, multinational initiatives, and all of those initiatives uh, we think will help us reach a consensus in the long run. Um, this is in the interest of, I would argue, all states, as well as other stakeholders, such as, of course, the private sector. Um, they, they really also need to be contributing to those discussions as well. Thank you for that great answer. I think my takeaway from that answer has been that there are various initiatives currently to really look at this issue. Uh, and those are all from the government point of view. So that brings me to my next question, which is more about the private sector. And so the question here is, what role does the UN see the private sector playing when it comes to developments in creating AI technology that can have dual use implications or applications on the battlefield? Right. Thank you for that question. I really cannot overstate the role of private sector in discussions on and also mitigating risks of AI. Um, they really uh, have a, a very important role to play. Uh, now, most of the AI applications, uh, as we all know, originate from the private sector. In other words, uh, it is the private sector that designs and, and develops most of those dual-use uh, applications. Um, so by definition, they really have an important role to play. Um, there are, however, many challenges that need to be addressed uh, when incorporating the private sector into the multinational discussions. For instance, only about a dozen companies, and they are mostly from Western countries and China, um, have um, the necessary resources, you know, capital access to minerals, energy, uh, you know, talent pool, etc., the human resources pool, etc., to run advanced AI applications in the civilian realm. 
Um, this creates, uh, if you will, an equity problem, uh, neglecting the needs of the global south. All those groups are likely to be disproportionately affected by the use of AI, particularly uh, from a peace and security perspectives. Um, another challenge comes also from the um, increasing dependence on the reliance over the same AI supply chain across the globe. Um, we really need to think carefully as a society uh, whether it is sustainable to continue with the scale of resource extraction, for example, happening today. You know, while it takes a long time to um, extract minerals, um, uh, that are used for smartphones, self-driving cars, and, and home voice recognition systems. Um, those gadgets only work for a short time frame. Um, you know, more often, uh, consumers do not think about recycling their digital products. And even um, if they do, recycling is still a complex and also very costly uh, efforts as well. Now, all these are additional stress factors, if you will, for the climate and environment, as well as for international peace and security. So we know from other technological developments that any dual-use application can open pathways for the misuse and diversions uh, of civilian technology for military purposes. Um, and, and that's why the private sector, academia, AI standardization bodies and civil society really should equally demonstrate responsibility in designing, developing, and using uh, those systems. So we cannot, of course, formulate effective multilateral responses without inputs from multi-stakeholder community. Um, the private sector has a role in also evaluating, training, and, and testing AI models for all types of risks, including risks to international peace and security. Um, the duty um, also rests with the disarmament experts, of course, to provide a civilian AI community uh, with the knowledge and means to mitigate the risks of dual-use technology. So as you can see, it's really the whole of society, now everyone's responsibility, uh, and that includes uh, the private sector. That's excellent, Ms. Nakamatsu. Uh, we'll just come to our next question on this series of questions. We discussed earlier in the course of this podcast about how there are different initiatives which look at different aspects of military applications of AI. With that being said, in the absence of any global consensus on enacting guardrails against the use of AI in the field of military applications, what more could be done to essentially ensure that arriving at a bare minimum global baseline of principles is feasible? And also, could any possible consensus have an impact in terms of how AI systems are made, in terms of having more human oversight and control? Right. Um, I'm a strong believer that governance of AI is an area where states can reach a consensus um, because it has, you know, everyone has a stake in the design, development, and use of AI-enabled systems uh, in the military domain. So with this objective in mind, um, let's think about what can be done. Um, and there are a couple of things. Now, first, um, states need to ensure that any governance mechanisms around military applications of AI is developed through inclusive processes, engaging all relevant actors and with the broadest possible support 
And that includes, of course, the private sector, as I mentioned. Now, second, there is a need to um, cross-pollinate, if you will, the existing work around governance of AI that is taking place within the development, um, uh, disarmament and human rights communities uh, and at the United Nations. There are different communities that are looking at those issues, right? Um, the group of governmental experts on lethal autonomous weapon systems or laws has been going um, you know, doing uh, very important work. Um, and the um, adoption of a report with a forward-looking mandate recently uh, for the group of governmental experts on lethal autonomous weapon systems, GG on laws, uh, for shorthand, um, um, uh, during the recent uh, meeting of the CCW high contracting um, parties uh, meeting, um, and, and they reiterated member states' commitment to produce meaningful results. So, you know, they are making uh, progress. Um, Human Rights Council, the UN Human Rights Council's uh, advisory committee is also working on a report um, on human rights implications of new and emerging technologies in the military domain. Um, so there are, you know, a couple of processes that are already taking place. Um, the UN holds uh, ample knowledge and um, expertise, not only in the areas of laws, uh, but also in responsible innovation, both from uh, civilian and military perspectives. A focus on responsible AI uh, could serve as a new way to expand uh, the current state of debate over AI. Uh, governance and also support existing initi initiatives and, and deliberations. So the consensus on the governance of AI in military domain would indeed be linked to um, how these systems are designed and developed, not only by states, but also by private sector, right? Um, depending on the type of negotiations and outcomes, states really need to decide on what constitutes as human control. Um, over the, the full life cycle of uh, AI technologies. Um, now, the keywords, uh, the, the concept of human control, um, this aims to uh, ensure that humans are uh, responsible and accountable for the decision to use force. Humans uh, have a role to play, not only by uh, in ensuring legal compliance, but also judging um, ethical uh, acceptability, if you will, uh, over the, the use of force. Now, um, there is no one way, I think, um, to ensure human control. And uh, states definitely need to discuss this further and agree on the parameters of this uh, concept. And I could just uh, provide uh, just a few examples in, in this regard, how they might be able to advance the concept. Um, one way of ensuring human control is by uh, putting specific restrictions or limitations uh, on the weapon system uh, in its design stage. Um, this would, for example, be limiting the scope uh, of the use of a weapon system in terms of duration, um, like how long uh, it could monitor or limiting the, the terrain, for example, where it could be launched or used, you know, land versus air versus sea. Now, another way of looking at human control is through regulating human-machine interaction. 
Um, this means, for example, through adequate super- supervision of actions by human or incorporating human intervention um, into the design of an AI-enabled system. Yet another way uh, to look at this issue is by limiting its uh, use in specific environment, um, for example, by minimizing its use in populated areas to basically minimize uh, or eliminate civilian uh, casualties. Um, now, lastly, the Secretary General repeatedly indicated um, that machines capable of taking lives without human involvement are unacceptable. And I would definitely like to uh, emphasize that point. Thank you. Uh, with that, we have reached uh, our last question in the series of questions for this podcast. Uh, this question is essentially following on the previous answer given, which is how, you know, there's so many players in this, so many people who need to be engaged really to come up with a solution to the military applications of AI. Uh, then that's a good problem to have. But I would say that following through with this, suppose we are to gain consensus Uh, How do we find tangible ways to ensure that any form of regulation does not blunt or curtail the innovative potential of beneficial AI? So driven by informed decisions, uh, regulations of emerging technologies, I would argue, can help spur innovation, not curtail it. Um, Regulation of um, artificial intelligence could actually help with responsible, safe, and secure uses of technology, right? Uh, It would also allow the technology to be adopted um, equitably across different sectors and and societies. Um, The key here is to ensure that regulatory decisions are backed by factual and scientific analysis. Um, Now, while it's um, tempting to regulate AI only at the national level, Um, technology that pose high risk to humanity should also be regulated multilaterally um, based on international law. Uh, And I think that's an important point. Um, Also, um, regulation could could also help prevent monopoly and bring healthy competition, if you will, uh, in the design and development of AI products. So states can encourage startup companies to engage in this competition by providing them uh, necessary incentives. I should also um, uh, open a parenthesis here and indicate that um, the realm of AI, we have seen leaders of big companies um, and the scientific community also coming together uh, and calling for regulation due to the fears of existential risks, you know, for example, uncontrolled AI causing human extinction type of an argument. Um, while the jury is still out there, of course, around um, whether AI, pose, AI, AI would pose uh, existential risks, um, it is rare for the private sector to ask for regulation. Uh, most of them Uh, demanded this because the alternative is uncontrolled self-regulation. So they saw um, the importance in uh, in the regulation discussions as well. Now, finally, um, the AI sector could learn from, uh, for example, the pharmaceutical industry uh, in terms of regulation. 
uh, as the pharmaceutical industry is heavily regulated, uh, let's remember, uh, but that uh, consumer also um, um, demands such regulation, right? Um, each new medicine or vaccine, for example, undergoes regular testing and evaluation uh, during its research and development stage. And even under such restrictions, the pharmaceutical sector innovates uh, definitely at very high speed. Um, the rapid development of COVID-19 vaccine um, is definitely a very good example in that regard. Um, the continuous interaction between governments, regulators, and, and AI developers, uh, and the private sector at large will really help reap the benefits of AI um, while at the same time mitigating potential harms to, to societies. So, so I would say that um, regulations can, in fact, help um, spur the innovation. Uh, it will help actually everyone, and it's everyone's interest. So with that, I think we have reached the end of our podcast. Um, this has been a fantastic and very enlightening view at the entire military applications of AI domain. It covers the entire range of regulations which currently the UN is looking at and also talks about the various stakeholders who need to be on the same page to make sure that responsible AI essentially leads the development of this kind of AI. So with that being said, thank you, Ms. Nakamitsu, for your time. It was a pleasure having you for this podcast. And we look forward to seeing you in New Delhi soon. Yes, looking forward. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this special episode of Interpreting India. To find out more such insights, make sure you register for the Global Technology Summit by visiting gts2023.com. Meanwhile, Stay tuned for our upcoming episodes. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform. To stay updated on our research and team, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. For in-depth insights, visit us at carnegieindia.org. See you next time.